Last week, we took a look at hope statement number one, which was, I am who God says I am. And we discovered that there are five components about us that were made up of chemistry, our connections, our circumstances, our consciousness, and our choices. And we know that it's our choices that really can change the, 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 the suit and the size and the number of the cards that we have been dealt with in regards to who we are. Today we're going to take a look at hope statement number two, which is I am significant. Now Moses was a man with a very strong identity, but just like us, he didn't get there overnight, and we're going to discover that in a moment, okay? But I want to start off with a question, which is, have you ever said something like this? If I could just hear the audible voice of God, if God would just talk to me through a burning bush, I would know that my life mattered. I would know that I'm significant. I would know that God has a purpose for my life. Folks, this is exactly what happened to Moses. And you would think that when God spoke to him through that burning bush, that he would have instantly known, hey, I must matter to God. I must be important. You would have thought that all his internal issues that came from his chemistry, his circumstances, his connections, his consciousness, and the choices in his life would have just faded away. But they didn't. In Exodus 3 and 4, I want to read some excerpts out of this story. But to set this up, understand that Moses at this time in his life, when he has this encounter with God, is he is wandering through the wilderness as a shepherd. And he sees this bush, and it's burning, but it's not being consumed. And as he approaches it, God speaks through the burning bush. This. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is giving Moses the assignment of a lifetime. And in so doing, he's saying, you are important. You are significant. I have got a purpose for you. You will be the national deliverer of Israel. From the Egyptians. And so I want you to go back to Pharaoh and deliver my people. But notice Moses' response. Who am I? Will you circle that? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God says, I will be with you. And Moses responds, Lord, I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. Circle, never been eloquent. And God says, I will help you speak and see and will teach you what to say. God sees Moses one way and Moses sees himself differently. And yet God interacts with Moses and says, I know who you are. Moses, I know about your chemistry. I know about your connections, your circumstances in life, the choices that you have made. I know you through and through. Don't worry about it. I will work in you and I will work through you. And to help Moses understand that, God says, hey, Moses, what do you got in your hand? He says, a staff. Throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake. He says, Moses, pick up that snake by the tail. And he picks it up and it turns it into a staff. Moses, this is the kind of power that I have to work in you and to work through you. Moses is still a little hesitant, so he says, hey, Moses, 
stick your hand in your robe. And he does. Now pull it out. And it's leprous. It's as white as snow. He says, now stick it back in your robe. Now pull it back out. And it's clean. God is trying to convince to make breakthroughs in Moses' mind of who God is and how God sees him. Now, after all of that, you would have thought that Moses would have just gone for it. You would have thought after God spoke to him through a burning bush, the snake or the uh, staff turned into a snake and then back into a staff and the the hand turned to leprosy, that he wouldn't have said, okay, I'm going to go for this. But he doesn't. Notice what he says. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I read that story and a part of me just says, Come on, Moses. Give me a break. You, you need to man up here, Moses. You need to be who God created you to be. I, I think as I read this story, how in the world can he not see that he's important? That he matters? That God has spoken directly to him. You are the man. You're going to be the deliverer of Israel. How can he still be so conflicted on the inside? And as I think of that, I think, oh, back off, George, because you're a lot like Moses, aren't you? So are you. I don't see myself the way God sees me either. Why? Why was that true of Moses? And why is that true of you and of me? Folks, I believe it's because we have some mental challenges, some mental issues, maybe even some mental illness that comes from our chemistry, that comes from our connections, that came from our uh, circumstances, from our consciousness, from choices that we made. And those mental issues, those challenges that we face from those five areas that make you and I who we are, are like chips in a windshield that prevent us from seeing God clearly as we look through the windshield of life of seeing God clearly and seeing ourselves it's a chip what's interesting about this these chips these these different mental challenges that we have is that initially in our life, when we're young and we're just starting down the road of life, they seem so insignificant to us. But as we travel further down the road and we fall into a a, a pothole, it gets bigger. Or we hit a curb and it gets bigger. And it falls down. I like this, so I'm going to continue. (laughs) And we run into another car. And it gets bigger. Finally, it becomes apparent to our ourselves and it becomes apparent to everyone else today what I want to do 
is I want to take a look at seven common mental challenges, issues that we have. But more importantly, I want us to take a look at the solutions. First, the seven mental issues that we struggle with that distort our view of who God is and the view that he has of us. Shame, uncontrolled thoughts, compulsions, fear, hopelessness, bitterness, and insecurity. One is shame. Shame is when you and I walk around and we feel shameful, we feel guilt, we feel regrets. And it's like a chip in the windshield. Something that God never intended for us to carry. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. But shame, nevertheless, is a crack in the windshield that as we look out through it at life, at God and at ourselves and others, it affects our vision. The second one is uncontrollable thoughts. This too blurs our vision. You and I have thoughts about ourselves that are not true. The Bible says, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. And so we have wrong thoughts, and those thoughts affect what we see and how we see things. The third one is compulsions. Compulsions is another inner, compulsion is the inner desires that we all have. It's those things that you think you just had to do because you had to, even though you knew it was wrong. Compulsions. The fourth one is fear. Fear is a huge crack that distorts how we see God and how we see ourselves. The fifth one is this, hopelessness. And I mention hopelessness because hopelessness keeps you and I from keeping on. It causes us to give up. If you feel hopeless about your life, you typically don't see how important you are to God. How important you are to your spouse, to, 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 to your family, to the church, to your workplace. This next one is absolutely a, a vision changer, and that is bitterness. Because as we know, bitterness never stays with ourself. And it can come from thinking, you know what, everyone else gets the breaks. And so we become envious, which is another form of bitterness. Or we do get hurt by others. And bitterness forms in our hearts. But bitterness never stays by itself. It spreads. It goes all over the place. And it blurs our vision. The last one is insecurity. Insecurity makes us say stupid things, like Moses did, <laughs> okay? But it also makes us do stupid things, pretending to be something that we're not. These are the seven mental challenges that affect how we see God and how we see others. Now, the classic passage that's, that deals with the solutions to these seven things comes out of Romans chapter 8. But in order to understand Romans 8, you have to understand Romans chapter 7. And there is one verse that I think capsulizes Romans 7. 
is where Paul says in verse 24, I am a miserable person. Who can free me from myself? In essence, so I can be who God has created me to be. Now, it's interesting when Paul said that, he didn't say, what can free me? No, he said, who can free me? What will free you is not a pill. It is not a program. It is a person. It is having a relationship with Jesus Christ and allowing his Holy Spirit that you get after you say yes to Christ, dropping him from your head to your heart that you get. Paul in Romans 7 used the personal pronoun I 41 different times. But in Romans 8, he uses the Holy Spirit 19 times. And so the Holy Spirit is absolutely critical in helping you and I to see who God is and to see who we are. To understand that we are significant. And the first place that Paul starts at is this thought, I must remember or remind myself daily what Jesus did for me. Folks, there are a lot of people who have Jesus as resident of their hearts, but they are walking around filled with shame, uncontrolled thoughts, compulsions, fear, bitterness, and insecurity. They believe, but they're not set free. Why? Because they have forgotten what Jesus has done for them. And so you and I must start first by reminding ourselves what Jesus did. This is where Paul starts in Romans 8, 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Will you circle no condemnation? That means God doesn't judge you for all the wrong things that you've done because Jesus took all of your judgment. Jesus paid your penalty. And the Bible says that he did this for all those who belong to him. Will you circle the word belong? This passage is for people who have dropped Christ from their head to their heart. If that has not happened in your life, understand this, this is not about you. But if that has happened, it does. And God says to those who believe in him and sin, who blow it, have flops, failures, and fumbles in their life, God says this to them, and listen very carefully. I'm not mad at you. Did you get that? When you blow it, because of what Jesus did for you, because you dropped him from your head to your heart, the Holy Spirit reminds you, God is not mad at you. Why? Because of what Jesus did in paying the penalty. Now notice, though, that it doesn't say after you become a Christian that you won't sin, that you won't have mistakes, that you won't have flops, failures, and fumbles in your life. No, it doesn't say that. What it says, though, is that you don't have to walk around with shame and with guilt and with regrets because Jesus died for you and all the wrath of God was poured out on him. There's no condemnation. That is good news. Now, Paul goes on and he says, For the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, what in the world does this mean? It just simply means this, that I need to remember as a believer that I have a power that is greater than willpower. You see, before Christ, all that I had was willpower. But now with Christ, I have a greater power. I have God's power. 
Now, unfortunately, for a lot of believers, they don't realize this. And so they walk around thinking that everything is dependent on their willpower. I just gotta try to be a better person. I've just got to try to keep the Ten Commandments. And so Paul mentions this. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature. In other words, what he's saying there is this. It doesn't matter how hard you try to be good. You can try to be as good as you possibly can and keep all the Ten Commandments. Guess what? They won't save you. I had a gentleman one time says, I know I'm heaven bound. He says, well, how do you know that? He says, because I, I keep the Ten Commandments. I said, oh, that's great. Can you name them? No, I can't. <laughs> well, then how can, if you don't know them, how can you keep them? keep them? But even if he knew what they were, folks, the outward law of trying to be as good as you possibly can is incapable of transforming you. Laws work on the outside. They don't work on the inside. I could wash a pig and put a nice suit on it. And I could spray some expensive cologne on it. But after I would release it, guess where it would go back to? To the mud hole. Why? Because the nature of the pig hasn't changed. This is what happens a lot of times when we just try I'm going to use willpower. I'm just going to, I'm going to try to keep those Ten Commandments. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to try to improve my life through those self-help books. Folks, those don't work. Because they work on the outside and not on the inside. If you want change, you have to have a change of nature. A change of mind. And that doesn't come from laws. Laws don't make a racist into a, a compassionate person. Only one thing does, Jesus Christ. We can pass as many laws as we want, and they won't work. There must be an internal change, and that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, God knew this, so he goes on and he says, but God put into effect different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving, giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. In other words, God gave us the power to make things change. Now look at this, it goes on. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Now will you circle the word for us? What he's saying here is that Jesus not only died on the cross to pay for your sins, but Jesus also did all the right things for you. Meaning that if you died tonight and you were in heaven and God asked you, George, did you keep the Ten Commandments? I'd say, no, I didn't, but Jesus did. And God would look at Jesus and he'd look at me and says, okay, you're in on his righteousness. Now let me ask you a question. Do you understand what Jesus did for you? That he paid for your sins. And he did everything right for you. If you are serious about understanding who you are and how God views you, you and I must start where God tells us to start. 
And he says, you must start by understanding your relationship to Jesus Christ. You must start by having a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who then begins through his Holy Spirit to renew your mind. Does that make sense? The second thing is that I have to ask the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. And if you do, he will. In Romans 8, 5 through 6, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what, on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. Will you circle the phrase mindset? And it's mentioned twice. There are two mindsets. One is set on the old nature. The other is set on the Holy Spirit. There is a mindset about how I naturally think of myself. And there is a mindset about how the Spirit thinks of myself. And there is a huge difference between the two. One will result in one response. The other one will result in a different response. Paul goes on. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Now, how many of us here would like to have life and peace? How many of us would like to have peace of mind? Where there isn't this conflict of issues, whether it's coming from our chemistry, our body, our makeup, who we are, or whether it's coming from these seven critical issues that oftentimes we get enmeshed in. I think we all do. Well, guess where that comes from? It comes from the mindset that you choose. Now think about this for a moment. The, real, the reality could be that your chemistry or your connections or your circumstances or your, might not ever change. Your chemistry might be the same as it, it is right now. It'll never change. Definitely your connections early on in life are never going to change. They, they are what they are, right? But your mindset towards them can. And that could be the difference maker in your life between death or life in peace. This is the Holy Spirit's answer to uncontrolled thoughts. I ask the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. This is the principle of replacement. Anything that you want to change, whatever you do, you don't resist it. You replace it because if you resist it, it persists. And so you and I have to ask the Holy Spirit to give us better thoughts about those unchangeable things that may be in our life. And as a result, what we get is a better response. And so I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to have free access to your mind. For you to come to the Father and say, God, I know because I've dropped Jesus from my head to my heart. I know that you have given me his Holy Spirit. And I want to give him free access 24-7 to my mind. Now, why is that so important? Because God's thoughts towards you are a whole lot better than your thoughts towards you. Guaranteed. His thoughts are helpful and they're truthful and they're pure and they're positive. And let me give you another reason. If you don't, then all you're left up to is your human nature. And that leads to death. 
Take a look at this verse in verse seven and eight. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. But those who are controlled by the Spirit have life, and folks, they have peace of mind. The third thing that we need to realize in order to understand who we are, who God says we are, that we are significant, is this. That I must realize that I have a new ability to say no. As a believer, I have new ability to say no to the wrong things and yes to the right things. Before Christ, all that I had was willpower and I couldn't do that. But now I have God's power. Before Christ, there were these things that I, I just couldn't say no to. These compulsions, these habits. The, these these hang-ups that I have. But now that I have God's power, I can do that. In Galatians 5, 16, Paul says, let the Spirit direct your lives and you will not satisfy the desires of the old human nature. Now, if I let God's Spirit rule and reign in my life, does it say that I won't have bad desires? doesn't say that. Does it say that I won't have temptations? doesn't say that. Does it say that I won't have any compulsions or hang-ups? No, it doesn't say that. Let me put it like this. Do you still, after you've said yes to Jesus Christ, do you still have bad desires? Mm-hmm. Temptations, yeah. Compulsions, hang-ups, yeah. Folks, we're broken. Do I fulfill them? No. Why? Because I have a new power. I'm not just operating off of willpower. Now, some people would say, well, why in the world should I limit my natural desires? What's natural and organic is good. Not really. Not everything that is natural is good, folks. Or arsenic is natural, and it will kill you. Just because it's natural, just because it's organic, okay, doesn't mean that it's good. Just because my old natural mindset thought certain things about me doesn't mean that those things that I've thought about me are healthy. In fact, I would guess that they're not. Now Paul moves on. In Romans 8, he says this, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are now controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ living in them does not belong to Christ. Now, let me explain this. A lot of people think mistakenly that you get God in pieces. First, you get Jesus, and then you get the Holy Spirit, and then you get the Father. You get God in pieces. Folks, that's not true. God is a triune God. He is three in one. And when you get one, you get all of God. When you say yes to Jesus Christ and you drop him from your head into your heart, you get the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all at one time. So the question isn't whether you have all of God. The question is, does God have all of you? 
Because the more he has of you, the more power you're going to experience to see yourself the way God sees you. And then in Romans 8, 12, he says, So dear brothers, you have no obligation anymore to your old sinful self, to your old sinful nature, to do what it begs you to do. You see, this is how God, or this is how God sets me free from me to say no to those bad things and yes to the good things. The fourth thing that helps us to see who we really are in Christ, that we're significant, is this. I need to turn my thoughts to God when I'm afraid. This truly sets me free from me. Take a look at Romans 8, 14 through 16. Those who are led by God's Spirit are God's children. For the Spirit that God has given you does not make you slaves and cause you to be afraid. Instead, the Spirit makes you God's children. And by the Spirit's power, we cry out to God, Father, my Father. God's Spirit joins himself to our spirits to declare that we are God's children. When I was growing up, I was never afraid of the day, okay? But at night, it was a different story. We had, my bedroom was upstairs, and there was a big tree, and it would cast shadows into the room, and that's when there was no air conditioning. You had to leave the windows open, and you could see those shadows moving around, and I would cry out, Daddy, Daddy! I never cry out for my mom. She wasn't strong enough. I knew that back then, okay? But I cried, Daddy, Daddy! And he would come up, and he would rescue me, okay? This is what God tells you and I to do when we're afraid. And there's a lot of things that fill us with fear, don't they? Those things oftentimes cause us to think that we're not significant to God. That he doesn't care enough to come running up the stairs to our bedroom to help us. And so what Paul is saying here is that we and I have got to stop focusing on our fears and we got to start focusing on our faith by remembering whose family we are a part of and that we are one of his kids. Do you remember the, the, movie, the movies The Godfather? Come on, work with me. Say yes. Even if you don't, okay, just say yes. Okay, good. You know, Godfather is the Italian family, kind of the mafia situation, right? Let's just say that you were a part of the Godfather circle. You were a kid and some kid comes up to us and assaults you. What would you say? Hey, do you know who I am? I mean, my father's a Guido who works for Bruno. Uh, uh, and he'll make you an offer you cannot refuse. We're a part of the family, you know. Folks, when you are afraid with whatever fear might come in, you got to remember that you're a part of the family. And God will come to your rescue if you call out to him. So I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? I've been involved in ministry for 42 years. And the number one thing that people fear the most is being out of control. I have had people come into my office and say, Pastor George, I must be losing my mind. Everything is out of control. I must be crazy. And I tell them, no, you're not crazy. You know, uh, unsane people or sane people know that they're, they're, that they're crazy, right? Unsane people don't. They don't know that, okay? You're just broken. So I want you to turn to one another. 
And just tell the person next to you, you're not crazy. Just tell them that right now. You're not crazy. I'm not crazy. Are you crazy, Kathy? Are you crazy? You're not crazy. Okay. I'm not crazy either. Folks, none of us here are crazy, okay? But can I say this? We're all broken. My mind is broken just like yours. It doesn't think right. doesn't see myself because of these different mental challenges and issues that I have. I'm not crazy. I'm just broken. And you're broken. And Moses was broken. But God has said in his word that he has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. And the more we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, the more self-control you and I are going to have. And yet a lot of people freak out about the Holy Spirit. They think, you know what, if I allow the Holy Spirit to have 24-7 access in my mind, I might become some kind of nutcase. When just the opposite is true. The more God's got a hold of you, the more self-control you're going to have. And we all could use a little bit more self-control. The fifth thing is this. i got to focus on long-term and not short-term. Harvard did a study and found that the more long-term thinking a person had, the more significant they thought of themselves. Meaning that if, they, if a person just thought of just the here and now, they didn't see themselves as that significant. Now, as Christians, we win this one hands down because thinking long-term is called eternity. And when you and I live our lives in light of eternity, we have discovered the key to significance. Now, here's the deal. A lot of times we don't do that. I got people coming into my office and they're just focusing on the here and now. They're just focusing on that problem that's right there in front of them. They're, they're thinking of only today. I would have you know as, as your pastor that your staff is thinking about your future all the time. Even in this series, we thought, okay, God, what is it that we want to see you through your spirit help them become about who they are in Christ? We think for a year. We think five years. We think 10 years down the road. We think for eternity because one day you will stand before Jesus Christ and we want to hear him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Society doesn't think that way. Society thinks just for the here and now. Society thinks about immediate gratification. They don't think long term. But God has called you and I to think long term. Now how does he do that? Through the promises of God. And we did a whole series on the promises of God the one before this one. Certain hope happens when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God, falling on the character of God. It happens as one of the components is through promises. And Paul gives one here. Look at Romans 8, 17 and 18. Since we are his children, we will possess the blessings he keeps for his people and also, we will possess with Christ what God has kept for him. Will you circle the word will? It's mentioned two different times. It says, when you and I get into eternity future, we will be rewarded for how we used our bodies and minds for Christ. And we will be rewarded right along with Christ as co-heirs of him. Now, let me share with you what that's going to look like. 
on the day you enter into eternity future, you're going to see this big Tron something. Think of the Cowboy Stadium, the big, that big TV screen, right? And you're going to see as you enter in, starring Jesus Christ, co-starring you. And when that happens, I guarantee you this. The mental challenges and pains that you and I have gone through on this side of eternity will be petty to us. It'll be gone. And Paul talks about it. Verse 17 and 18. For if we share Christ's suffering, we will also share his glory. I consider that what we suffer at this present time, all the mental challenges that may be due to our chemistry, our connections, our circumstances, our consciousness, or the choices that we've made in life, all these things that we suffer in this present time cannot be compared at all with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Bring it on. Bring it on. The sixth one is this. You remind yourself that God is good and in control. Now, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to shorten this up. Everything in this world has lost its original purpose. And so it's frustrated and it's in pain because sin has broken everything. And where there is pain, there is groaning. And where there is groaning, there is the potential for bitterness. And bitterness, like I said, is one of those things that it just doesn't stay in one spot. It goes all over the place. It is a huge blinder to us seeing who God is, of seeing ourselves and seeing others. But through the Holy Spirit, we can overcome. So, will you write down by the verses in Romans 8, 26 through 27, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. You need to remember that. How cool is that? By Romans 8, 28, will you write by that verse, God is using it for good. Not all things are good, but God's using it for good. In Romans 8, 31, will you write this down? God wants me to succeed and live a significant life. You are part of the family. And then Romans 8, 32, will you write this down? God will give you what you need. I mean, think about it. If God sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins and to do everything right for you, how will he not give you everything else freely? He will. And then the last one that deals with rejection and insecurity is this. Trust God that he will never stop loving you. Romans 8, 38 and 39. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the depths, deepest oceans, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us. Nothing. Our chemistry won't. Our, 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 our connections won't. Our circumstances won't. Our consciousness won't. Even the choices that we've made won't keep us and separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Folks, I may lose everything. I may lose my family. I may lose my job. I may even lose my life. But guess what? I will never lose 
my salvation. And so as you and I begin to allow the Holy Spirit to move in us and through us, we begin to see life clearly. Because through His Spirit, He has a solution to every one of the mental challenges that we face. And so as a result, I am who God says I am. And I am significant. But that starts first where God wants it to start for you. And that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you haven't said yes to Jesus, none of what I've said today really is going to impact your life. And so let's take a moment. I know we live in the South, and there's a church on every corner. And you've heard about Jesus this and Jesus that, and you've got KLTY radio and all that stuff. But have you dropped him from your head to your heart today? Because that's where it starts. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you just didn't stay in heaven above, but that you saw our need. You knew from the very beginning that we were created in your image, that we are the image bearers of Christ, and that we are important to you, so much so that you were willing to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins to do everything right so that we could stand righteously before you because we were worth that much to you. We mattered that much. I don't know where you're at today, but you've got to have Christ in your heart. It can't just be a nice theological thought that you've got in your mind. You've got to have a relationship with him where you allow him to commune with you and through his spirit, renew your mind so you can live the life that God has always intended for you to live. And so if you haven't done that, will you? doesn't matter what words you say, but you could say something like this, God, I admit that I've lived my life on my willpower and it's not working for me further I've gone down the road, the more messed up I think I am. But God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins and to do everything right for me. And so right now, I just want to surrender my life. I want to drop you from my, from my head into my heart because I want you inside of me. And I want you to begin changing me helping me to see you for who you are and helping me to see myself the way you see me, God. And so right now, God, I give my life to you. And if you've done that, will you just let me know on your communication card, just fill your name out, maybe an email address and just check the appropriate box. I'm, I'm, I'm giving my life to Christ. And I'll get you some literature that'll help you understand what God's gonna begin doing in you. So Lord, we thank you. You are a good God and you are a great God and you are good all the time. And I thank you that you're a God who, like Moses 
are working in us to give us that confidence and the, the identity that we are and that we have in you. And so God, we lift this up to you. May you have your way with us this week. In your son's name we pray, amen.